Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Pastor Andre and Sonica. I want to start with a story. Um, I don't know how far I'm going to get with the slides. I've got about 25 slides, but we're going to we're going to just get we're going to get to the scripture now. But um, <clears throat> I'll never forget it. A life-changing moment in my life was when I was in Mumbai, in India, um, coming back from a from a trip, and we've traveled like. 48 hours by train up to the, or to the east and then up to Varanasi and a lot, lot of places. And coming back into Mumbai, I had a bit of fever and um, prayed a lot and all that stuff. And so the team were busy eating, but I just for a day couldn't eat because I felt I'm going to die. I don't know. You know, it was sort of at the end of, of myself. And that evening was late at night. It was probably about 9 o'clock. Uh, Jakub Prinsler, who was a pastor in, in London, I just said to him, you, you lead the team now. I'm going to see Jesus soon. <laughs> you know? So I wasn't good because I, I vomited. I did everything that you can possibly can. Streams of living waters flew, gushed out of my mouth and of other, other places. But in any case, I'm not going to go too much into that. Uh, but I remember lying there on the bed and, and I just, you know, I really felt like this is it. You know, it's just you come to that place where you sort of just actually want to give up because you really don't care anymore, you know. And um, it was one of those moments, and I still remember going, going to the white throne judgment inside this little room up there, and um, that's called the toilet, you know, and um, so I was lying there, and, uh, and I was just like, oh, I couldn't even get myself up, and, um, and, and suddenly I heard this voice, uh, the audible voice of God saying, you shall live and not die. I've, I, you know, I, I just, it was surround sound. It was amazing, you know, and, um, and I, I basically stood up from that place and I was healed instantly like this, healed instantly. And I, and I walked out, nobody prayed for me, nobody, you know, there you'll hear the story now, but, um, and, um, so, so I was just, I, I really wanted to die. And then I realized, but you know, when I've surrendered my life to Christ, there's, there's this place where he's really in control. <laughs> you know, nobody can take my life from me. Nobody can do stuff, you know, against me. It's, I'm actually my own worst enemy if I make decisions to walk away from Christ and the calling that he has on my life. So, um, well, in any case, to come to finish the story, coming back home, there was an old lady, Tani Helen, Africa. Um, she always wanted to go on a mission trip. She's quite old, and, and, and she's been a faithful lady and in, in, in intercessor. And I always go to her and say, Auntie Helen, pray for me, you know. And so going there and coming back that first Sunday, uh, she came up to me and she says, Pastor, Pastor, I want to tell you. The other day, I canceled all my appointments of the day because I was praying. And I started to pray from 6 a.m. till about 9.30 a.m. And I was just praying one sentence for you over and over again. You shall live and not die. I don't know if that means anything to you, but you shall live and not die. I just hugged her. I cried. I said, thank you, Jesus. I'm alive because of your prayers today, you know. And, and I've experienced it so many times, you know, when you, when you come to that place. And the reason why I'm telling this story is because there's somebody in this place today that wants to give up. And the Lord says, don't give up. There's certain people sometimes we want to give up. We want to, we want to sort of just let go and say, oh, you know, sure, that's, that's enough. Or maybe in your own life you're desperate and you're thinking like, hey, 
I, I, I don't feel good enough, I don't feel worthy enough to be a Christian, or I don't feel worthy enough because I've messed up. And there's somebody here that, that's been thinking about suicide, and the Lord is going to heal you today. Not because I say so, but because he says so. And so I'm going to talk about surrender today, and it's a, quite a challenging thing because the definition of surrender is to absolutely abandon or to give you oneself completely to something or to someone. The most amazing thing is all of us, we are, we are surrendering ourselves to other people's opinions sometimes of us. Sometimes we're surrendering ourselves to the world. Sometimes we're allowing our identity to be formed by people around us or things around us. Or, or we run because of expectations of other people. Maybe your dad one day said to you, hey, you're never going to make it. Or you need to do this. And other people try to live their lives through our lives. And then many Christians, even they're not free to actually surrender because they have already surrendered to other things or to other gods. But the most amazing thing is, you know, Scripture talks about this thing of being, being circumcised in your heart. Circumcision in your heart means that you've come to a place where you have given Jesus everything. You've made him Lord of your life. And, and it's a scary place. <laughs> It's, it's, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, you know, but, but to have a circumcised heart means you've absolutely abandoned yourself to God. You've absolutely come to that place where you say, you are Lord of my life. And, and it's, it's not an easy place. I'm not trying to make it cheap today because it's a, it's a counting the cost place each of us has to come to. And especially in our nation today when so many people are afraid, are we willing to run to God or are we going to run to our fears? <laughs> And that wholehearted surrender, and that's why when we say Lord, you know the word Lord means is the word curious, which means owner, possessor, master. The disciples were called twice. Did you know that? That the first time around, Jesus just walked up to them and said, hey, you follow me, you follow me, and they just started to follow him. But there was another time when Peter was fishing, and then the first time when, when he called Jesus Lord was when they catch that massive heap of fish, dragged it out. Standing in front of Jesus, I think it's in John chapter 2. And then, G then Peter falls on his face before Christ. And he says, depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. He lies on his face before God because he says, now I realize that even in fishing, you're the master. I don't know about you, but if I, if I was the fisherman and Jesus says, hey, go and cast the net again. Go and do that again. Go and, you know, I would say, Jesus, um, you know. You're the carpenter. Stick with making the, 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 the furniture. You know? Stick to your trade, Jesus. I'm the fisherman here. Don't tell me when to catch fish when the, you know that it's... Then when I know. I've been, I've been around this lake a little bit, you know? I've, I've, this is what I've, I'm doing. This is my trade. And now you tell me to cast the net again. And, and hey. <laughs> but see, when we come to surrender, it means we trust. We, we, we yield control. <laughs> To a place where even in our strengths, not just our weaknesses. Because it's easy to surrender your weaknesses. It's easy to say, Jesus, help! You know, that moment when you're in trouble. But there's all this stuff that sometimes we're in control of things. <laughs> and then Jesus says, I want that area. I want your marriage. I want your children. I want your... And then, then we say, oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, I met, met a guy in Uganda who was involved in, the, in, in a great... Uh, in the great revival but before the great revival came great persecution came and they were running up into the mountains many of them i think were three or four years that they just prayed in the mountains for revival in uganda 
His name is John, and he, and he was praying one day, and he said, um, he felt God asked him a question. Now, when God asks you a question, let me tell you, be silent, don't answer, just wait. Just don't try to tell God or counsel God, because, you know, this is the question God asked him. He said, John, do you think that I need counsel? And uh, John said, no, God, I don't think you need counsel. Um, and so God asked him again, said, John, do you think I need man's opinion, man's counsel to tell me what I must do? He says, no, Lord, def- definitely not. You're sovereign. You know everything. And God asked him a third time. And he said, no, God, no, definitely not. And then God said, but John, every time you come to me in prayer, you tell me what I must do, when I must do it, and how I must do it. Stop counseling me, John. He says his prayer life changed. He learned to surrender to God. He learned that prayer is more about surrender. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Are you with me? There are very few amens in this place. We are gonna, we're going to go for it. Okay. <laughs> in Luke chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know woe and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. So many people coming to Christ, you know, and eventually Jesus turned around and rebuked this guy, was a learned guy, a theologian of the day. And he said, this woman, this story will be told as part of the gospel. Because there's a woman willing to surrender. And even that oil, do you know what that oil represented? It represented sleeping with other guys. That was a livelihood. And now she brings this oil into the presence of God and everybody freaks out and says, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not going to work. And Jesus says, when you bring even your greatest dirt into my presence, I'm going to change you. I'm going to make new. Isn't that the Jesus we love? Isn't that the one, the the lover of sinners? (laughs) But we want to fix ourselves and we want to fix other people so many times before they can come into the presence of God. No, no, just come. All who are thirsty, just come. If you're thirsty, just come. And he will give you the waters of life. Waters where you will never thirst again. Isn't that amazing? I remember um, standing at the bed of a lady a couple of years ago in a hospital bed. And she was already yellow, blue, green. She was on her deathbed. She was going to die. Full of cancer. Just going to die. Now I asked this lady, I said, you know, I'm going to, can I pray for you, please? Do you want to get healed? And she said, yes, she wants to get healed. And Jesus healed her on her deathbed. She stood up, she walked out the next day, completely healed. You know, as she was walking out, I asked her, lady, do you, do you, would you like, would you like um, to accept Jesus into your heart? And she says, no. I'm too hard and I feel like I'm too bad. And I said, no, 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 you, you don't understand Jesus. <laughs> That's why he came. He came to die for you. He came to take your mess. He take, came to take your broken life. And she just shook her head and she walked away. 
And right about three and a half years later, I stood at that same lady's deathbed again. Chased out all the family, walked into her deathbed and said, Grandma, today I don't know if Jesus is going to heal you again. But you want to accept him as Lord of your life. Because maybe he'll heal you right on this deathbed. But you know what? There's a greater miracle that you need. You need to know him. Now remember she couldn't speak a word. But the tears just started to, to roll down her cheek. And as I prayed she just nodded her head. And accepted Jesus Christ into her life. Three minutes later she died. I walked out of the room like this. All the family thought I was crazy. <laughs> I thought, what just happened to you? Why would you respond like that when grandmother has just died? Well, because that's the greatest miracle ever. When Jesus walks into a life and transforms somebody that's been hardened, been going on grandfather, that has been cheating grandmother, adultery, just divorce, just crazy stuff. And then you see how Jesus, it's never too late for him. Never too late. There's some of us that here that believe that it's too late for Christ. It's not. But we need to give up control. It says we control and manipulate our emotions, environment, future, life, relationships. Because we fear true intimacy and vulnerability before God. Our greatest challenge in this world, in the Western world today, is our independence. We want to be independent. Why? Because then we don't want to surrender. We don't want to really expose our hearts to God and to others around us. Why? Because we want to be in control. We want to look like we've arrived. We want to say, oh, look at that. You're so great. You're so, you're so perfect. But that's why Jesus said there's not one good person on the face of the earth. Did you know and say, hey, I've got news for you. You're not good. Come on. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Say, you're not good. Sorry. If you thought you were a good person, you're not good. There's only one that's good. It's the Father in heaven. Come on. Some of you are enjoying this too much. I saw a husband turn to his wife now and say, you're not good. I've been telling you. No, 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 no. Don't use this now against the person, Okay. But isn't it amazing that all of us, we have this idea that we think that we've actually good. We've arrived. We, we're somebody. But, but as long as we try to be a somebody, then we're going to try to find our identity by what we do and not by who we are. The fact that we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And see, sir, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you think about me. I don't want your opinion. And please don't be open to my opinion. Be open to the opinion of God. Because it's only His Word that can change you. Stop listening to what people say about you when only Christ can determine who you are. I want to please Him, amen? Come on, thank you. There the amen starts. Especially here in the middle. There's some people here in the middle that love that amen. Can I hear an amen from the back there? Uh, thank you, thank you. Okay. Okay, I'm just busy with the introduction, people. So let's go. Second Timothy 3, verse 1 to 4. Preach it. You should say, preach it, brother. Then, 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 I, then I feel psyched up. Okay, but now to this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, now listen if you can identify something. Because some people think the last days is 30 years from now. 40 years from now. No, but notice that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemous. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. 
unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then it says this powerful thing. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. A warning. There are many warnings in scripture. It says when you look out in the world, you must know that people will start to love themselves. They'll start to worship themselves. They will, they, and then the fruit of that is just pride and lots of stuff. Out, we, we've arrived. We, you know. We love our food. We love our ways of living. Even if it's an obsession with healthy living or if it's an obsession with this or an obsession with sport. You know, on a morning like today, there are so many people running out there enjoying their sport and there's nothing wrong with that. But anything you place above the Lord Jesus Christ is an idol. Anything, whether it's your wife, your children, whoever, it becomes an idol. And that's why God sometimes must hold back on us because why, if the blessing is going to turn into an idol, then God is not going to give it to us. And that's why He wants to release His power. It says, now people are changing. They, 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 God wants to release His real power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of, of the church rising up. But you know what? We have traded it for another form of godliness. It's really, it looks like worship. It is worship. I don't know when last you've been at a big mall. I, I'm frantic when I walk in the big mall because then I think like, wow. Do you know there's a whole philosophy that even at the mall you must play type of worship music. They don't play fast music da, 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 that you feel like. Da, 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 and, uh, you know, and then you see people running around with trolleys. It looks like it's the, the end of the world. <laughs> you know, everybody, get out of my way. I need to get where I'm going. You know? and, and, and sometimes you must just, when you walk in there and it's a busy day, then just stop and think like, for many people, this is church. Go to the gym. It looks like church. It's a replacement. It's another form of godliness. <laughs> huh? Fast food stuff. Everything is like... But what happens is the love of many will grow cold. That's what scripture says. So, so we need to ask this morning, what pleases God? You see, I, I, when, when my wife and I, when I was dating her, um, she studied like food science and all of that stuff. And, and I'm not, I've, I've never grown up like being a baker or being, you know, I can pry, I can do eggs and style bacon and eggs. I can do those basic things. I can, I can do that. But I'm not good at baking, you know, because, you know, there's some stuff that you need to learn by baking. So, so I thought like, wow, this is sort of our one year going out. When you start to go out, obviously it's like every month. Every, you celebrate every month, you know. Then you, the guys are glad when they get married because then you only need to celebrate one, one per year and then you can at least not forget the date, okay. So you know it's that date, the 4th of April, okay. So yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to impress Louise. I'm thinking like, I'm going to bake a cake. Huh? So I phone my mom. I say, look here, I'm going to bake this cake. I'm going to whatever, you know. And, and, and we, she tells me exactly what to do. And, and I'm going to surprise her by baking her cake. And I thought like, you know, because if, if, you, if you love somebody, you want to please them. You want to find out what, what would make them excited, you know. And, and it's not the cake. It's the, it's the effort you put in, you know. Can you say amen, ladies? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now all the guys are convicted. Okay, so, yeah. 
It's, it's, that, it's not the fancy card you give that you've bought. It's when you write it with your own hand. And then she, he comes back and says, oh, for me. And then he says, yeah, for you. Yeah. But then, okay, so, so yeah, I'm baking this cake. And, and I'm, I'm doing it. Hey? I'm, I'm really going for it. I'm, I'm standing there. I'm praying. I'm fasting just till the cake comes out. But so, you know, I'm ready for this thing, you know. And so now I look, and, and at a stage, I put on the light. It's this old stove that, it, that a friend of mine had at his house. So I'm, so I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, like, I don't know if this cake is right. So I open the door, and half the cake goes, like, vroom. So now I'm thinking, like, oh, my gonna. This is like a tower. This is like a slope that I've baked here. So I close it, wait till the time is finished, get the cake out, and now the whole cake is standing like this. So I get a brainwave. Just make double the icing. I always wanted to be a builder. Icing is the stuff you put on, you know? So I level that cake. I, this thick icing, this part cake, this thick icing. This cake, this icing on the one side. On the other side, the cake is like this and this icing. So I take the cake to her. It's beautiful. It's built hours. It's just like, you know, it's ready. That day I ate icing. I almost wanted to vomit. I ate the part that had the icing. I took home the part that had the icing. I said, no, I give half of the cake to you. I ate that part. She, I gave her the other part. And I, you know, I took all the icing back home. But I ate like, oh, it came out of my nose, out of my ears, you know. It's just like all over the place. And she's standing there. Oh. And I'm thinking, yes, I've got her. Yeah? But we all can relate to this story. Why? Because, you know, when we love somebody, we want to please that person. Would you agree? We, we want to find out what's in their heart. Now, if your relationship with God is only about you wanting Him to find out what is in your heart, then you're going to be in trouble. Because then you're going to become a consumer. But when you and I begin to say, God, I want to please you, what's on your heart? What's the stuff that makes God excited? <laughs> I'm going to run through a couple of stuff. Just give you the scriptures. Firstly, Matthew 5 or 6. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you have a hunger for God. If you say, God, I really want to please you. Jesus, you're my number one and there's no number two. <laughs> Nothing else compares to knowing him. Paul writes it in Philippians. He says that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to the image of his death. That I might know him. That know is a, is a word yada. It's an intimate knowing. It's not a second-hand knowing. It's not like, you know, coming to church because you think like if you come to church, you're a Christian. It's like sleeping in a garage. It doesn't make you a car. Have you noticed that? Some stuff needs to change. So hunger for God. The second thing is faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith, faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Faith is about seeking. Diligently seeking him. Faith. And, and the scripture says that when, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, will he truly find faith? The only thing Jesus really challenged his disciples with was not the imperfection, but was their faith. And we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God because we're seeking him. That's why it says when you come to him, you must believe that he is a rewarder. That he is, that he is what? 
that is God. That he says what we says he is, he is that. And if you somebody says, I am God, I will provide for you. Do you know it takes faith because it means you need to surrender as to him as the provider. It's about surrender. It's about do you trust God that what he says he is, he is that. And that when you come to him diligently, then he's going to reward you. There's going to be two judgments. The one is between heaven and hell, and the other one is a reward judgment. Come, my faithful servant. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just longing for that day. I don't know about you, but, but every day when I wake up, I just say to Jesus, Jesus, maybe today, maybe today you're going to come. Maybe today I'm going to be transformed. Maybe today is the day when I'll see you. I have such a longing for him. I have such a desire just to see him face to face. Now I'm just seeing in a veil, but there's, there's going to be a day when I'm going to stand before him alone. Shofar isn't going to stand with me. Pastor Andre is not going to stand there with me. I'm going to stand alone before Jesus one day. I'm going to stand before him and then I'm going to see the man with the white robe that has fire in his eyes. That Revelation talks about. And then I'm going to not have eyes for anything else or for anybody else. I'm not going to look to them. I'm just going to stare at him. I'm, I'm going to just stand there. Maybe it's going to take a million years. I don't know how long that first look is going to be, but it's going to be awesome. Praise God, there's no flies or mosquitoes in heaven. Because I'm going to stand like this. Probably for a million or two million years. And I'm going to just say, then, then I'm going to cast my crown before him. I'm going to just fall flat. I mean, just flat. When last have you thought about seeing Christ? About that day? See, you're just passing through. Don't get stuck here. This is not your home. If you're a Christian here today, this is not your home. (laughs) Why do we live as if everything, as if our reward is here, when our reward is there? Then listen to this, the third thing, humility. Psalm 149 verse 4, For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. Do you know that God takes pleasure in you? He will beautify the humble with salvation. <laughs> when you're truly in humility, when you come in that brokenness, when you come to that place of surrender, giving up control, wholeheartedly worshiping Him, that's that moment when you stand before Him and it's just Christ and you. There's nobody else, you don't care. You see, I, I, I have the privilege, I, I work with students. So I've had the privilege of doing 231 weddings. And I've probably been at another 80. So my hobby is doing weddings. <laughs> There's only one of those 231 weddings that ended in a divorce. And let me explain to you what happened that day. Firstly, there was no worship on that wedding day. I actually did a favor for another pastor. When I arrived there, I arrived there with a headache. Because I realized something is wrong here. These people are not honoring God. So we did this ceremony, all that stuff. But you know what? When that, when that bride walked down the aisle, I'll never forget it. Only one of the 231 that ended up in divorce. The bridegroom was standing in front there, and she walked like this. Hello. She had her eyes on everybody else except on the bridegroom, and then I realized 
there's adultery in her heart. And you know what? Two years later, it happened, what I saw there that day. Because she didn't have eyes for the bridegroom. You see, if there's adultery in your heart, if you don't have eyes for the bridegroom, you're in trouble. I'll never forget that day. I, I didn't stay for the ceremony. I just went home. I had a massive migraine. I don't think I've ever had a migraine like that. And I just prayed. I said, God, please have mercy. Because I realized there's, a, there's problems here. That bride has got no eyes for the bridegroom. And see, sometimes the bride of Christ has got no eyes left for the bridegroom. Looking for his return. Is there oil in your lamp? Are you ready for his coming? Humility. Psalm 147 verse 11. The fear of God. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. In those who hope in mercy. See, God's pleasure is in those who fear him. When we understand that God is great, he's not just our buddy. I'm running through them. Are you still all right? We're going to pray for people now because some of us are going to surrender a little bit today. Some of us are going to become open before God. And you know, it's not something you're afraid of. We're not afraid of God. But the fear of God is a respect, is an honor of who he is. The fact that we are going to give an account to our, of our lives one day. Revelations 4 verse 11 is, says, God loves it when we become obedient sons. Listen to this. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, power, for you created all things, and by your will, some translation says, pleasures, they exist and were created. God's will, when, when we say, God, I want to become an obedient son. And I, I can't remember, I think it was John Bevere who wrote it. He said, obedience is the highest form of worship. Obedience is the highest form of worship. It's not what we sing here. It's what happens at home. <laughs> when you and I begin to say to God, God, I want to be obedient. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. I remember driving in India one day. Landing in Delhi in the north and it's raining. And now we get these little tuk-tuks. And I don't know if anybody here has been in India. Who's been in India? Some of you have gone there on missions. It's crazy. There is, you know, I bless God for taxis in South Africa. In India, the traffic is crazy, you know. So now we get out of the airport, and now it's raining. It's monsoon. It's going. It is just flooding the place. And now this little tuk-tuk driver wants to steal our money. And I've got something with some people trying to steal money. So I, I just tell him, stop. I'm getting out. Now, I haven't got a clue where I am now. Me and, and, and had this other guy, we together in this tuk-tuk. And all the other guys have gone. We've got these little papers that we wrote the address on that we must go to. Because we've learned it the hard way. You know, so, so here we get, I get out in the middle of the road. I say, stop. I'm not paying you a cent. I'm getting out here. Whew. Later, I regretted that decision. <laughs> so as we get out with all our luggage, we get out on the side of the road. It's raining. I'm going to stand under the tree. We wait there for 20 minutes, get soaked get into the other tuk-tuk, and as we're busy driving, I realize, I said to him, you've got the piece of paper, eh? And Gert says, no, you've got it. I said, no, no, you've got it. You know, does that sound familiar for some married people? Where's the keys? Where's my glasses? You've got it. No, no, you've got it. You know, but in any case, so, so here we land up, we're in Delhi, what, how many, 40 million people, we haven't got a clue where we're going. I just remember this one area's name, We've never been in Delhi before, and here we say, drive to that area. It's quarter past 11 at night. 2.30 a.m., we are still driving around. We have got no money. We have got no nothing. We just, we lost our piece of paper. We have got our bags. We are, it's crazy. 
So now we're driving, and now I've heard the story of this guy. He says, turn left, turn right, you know. Now I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit now. He's going to take us right. So here we go. Three hours later, we're still driving. <laughs> yeah. And at a stage, we stop, and it's raining, it's raining. And I say, God, you need to help. Because it's amazing when you're sometimes in places and you never forget to pray. Huh? And I still remember saying these words, Lord, I surrender everything to you. You're in charge here. As I finished that prayer, I heard a voice. See us! I'm thinking, is it an angel? As I pray that prayer, we stopped in front of the, the uh, block of flats where the rest of the team was. And the guy came out on the second floor on the balcony, and he just felt he needed to go and look out. And as he looked out, because now obviously they're praying and they're panicking, where are we? They looked out, and there we stopped right in front of them. And I thought, Lord, if I just surrendered three hours earlier. <laughs> stubborn, stubborn. Don't turn to anybody now and say stubborn. But in any case, so... <laughs> So obedience breaks that. Listen to this, Romans 8 verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we crowd, Abba Father. The definition for true sonship is not having a great identity and being feeling confident in God and all of that stuff. The, the definition here, because we I always go to the, the other part. Ooh. Romans 8, I just read it to you there, 8 verse 15. Okay, 14 and 15, it says, The sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear. That's the spirit in the world. The, the world drives. And even, and he's writing to church people. So he says, there's a, you can operate out of two, one of two spirits. Either you've been driven by fear, or you are being led by the Holy Spirit. The fear spirit is the spirit of bondage again to fear. Many people are not free because they make their decisions based on fear when it even comes to God. And they love God and they're going through life, but they're not free because they're under bondage. Romans 8 verse 15. But before it says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It's a surrender to the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? There's no amens in this place. So it's okay. Can you show that little video clip, Janice? Have we got it? Sorry for this little thing at the bottom. I downloaded it just before we got you. Well, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Right. Well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus... I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm gonna fuck Okay. Woo. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted. Okay. All right. Do you trust me? 
Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. <laughs> okay. Good. Ah! Oh, Jesus, you really caught me! I didn't think you were going to get me, but you did! Oh, that was great! That was great! You're ready for level two! Level two, here yes. I come, baby! Woo! Oh. Whoa. Okay, hold it. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Oh, forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes, the okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. Especially when you do it. <laughs> Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. So, conviction. <laughs> but how many times do we say to God, God, yes, yes, if I'm going to control, I'm going to let go. If, if you show me the outcome, I'm going to let go. Come on. How many times do we do that with Christ? And he says, trust me. Let go. The last scripture, and then we're going to pray. First Timothy 2 verse 4, if you really want to please God, come to this place of surrender, we need to surrender to his purpose, to his call. You know, there's one thing God desires. And that's for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, I don't go to India because I love India. I love the people of India. After the first time of almost dying in India, I said to God, God, never again. And uh, unfortunately, I said that when I went to Pakistan and to Iran and to all these nations. I said to God, never again. But I've been in India, what, 16 times. Not because I like the food or the traffic or the whatever. But I've grown to connect with the heart of Christ. I've understood that Jesus loves the people of India and Jesus loves the people of East London and Jesus loves your family. He loves the people that you work with. He loves them so much. And he's got one solution for them. It's you. He sent you. He sent you on an assignment to go and tell them what he means to you. That's the Great Commission. Isn't preaching at people. It's to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Show them Jesus. Show them how you surrender when you're in trouble. Show them. Don't be perfect. Show them. Show them what Christ means to you. Surrender. And then they think like, wow. When he falls off from the mountain bike, he doesn't swear and cause all the forefathers into being. No. He's actually in a place of peace despite his circumstances. You know, when Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stands there and they say, hey, 
And the king says, you bow to me now. And they say, no. Do you know what? We've already made up our mind. The, fur- the furnace is burning and people, even the guys on the side are being killed because of the heat of the fire. And then, I love what they say. They say, even if God does not deliver us king, even if he does not deliver us, know this one thing. We will not bow to your idol. We know him. And we are here to please him. More than what he is here to please us. Because it's those moments when we say, even when he does not come through, will you continue worshipping him? Will you and I surrender to his sovereignty of choice? And see, today some of you are here and you've been prayed for for healing and you didn't get healed. It happens. But are you still willing to come again? Say, God, your word is the truth. We as man and mankind are liars, but Jesus cannot lie. By his stripes, we are healed. When you're standing at the place where you just don't know what's happening around you anymore, and then God says, just surrender, just trust me, just fall. Uh-uh. Lord, everything inside of me freaks out right now. And Christ says, come. God will never ask you, sir, to do something that he has not done himself. And that's why the cross is the place of life. Jesus hanging on the cross and say, Father, I surrender. I don't understand what's happening here. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. The place of great exchange is the cross. And then he calls these disciples. They've just run away. He calls them, go to the upper room. Just go and wait there. Just go and wait there. Lord, what, what? Tell us. Give us the ideas. Give us all the stuff. Just wait there. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to breathe on that thing that he's done in their heart. Place where they've overcome fear. Place where they've let go of being in control. And the Holy Spirit then comes and takes control of that. Because God loves broken people. God loves it when we release everything to him. Nothing wrong with planning. Nothing wrong with putting out your diary. Nothing wrong with those stuff. But sometimes we become control freaks.